please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And as you are turning there, I want to call attention to um, one of our band members, Nathan Foley, our bass player, brother with the dreads. Today is his last Sunday. Um, he is soon to be married next year. And so today is his last Sunday, and I guess he's making preparations to be with his bride. And so when you see the brother, um, put, put a hug on him and bless him. And we thank God for the stable of ministers and music that God has blessed us with who not only love God, but they're... There he is. What up, Nate? Yeah, yeah. Last Sunday, baby. We love you, man. Thank you for serving Jesus here. Amen. Amen. I'm going to meet with uh, he and his bride-to-be this Wednesday. Just going to check the oil and kick the tires, make sure they're doing all right. Amen. But it's great to have uh, ministers of music who not only, um, of course, love God, but they are committed to doing their craft with excellence. And so um, may we not take it for granted what we have here. Um, this is Music City, and it's easy to do that because it seems like everyone can play and sing, uh, but that's not the case uh, with a lot of churches. Uh, <laughs> We had many years where we struggled uh, musically, but we continued to worship. We were making a joyful noise to God. And we would pray and ask God to raise up the singers and the musicians, and he did. Uh, and so whenever one departs, we, we also want to say thank you, Lord. Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, a continuation from last week. Beginning at verse 1, reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, Now it came to pass... When Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, or said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So let's tag this text this morning. Dealing with Doubt and Disappointment, Part 2. Or a subtitle is, What Do You Do When God Doesn't Do What You Want Him To Do? Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for how relevant your word is. How you record stories in the Bible to encourage us in our walk, in our faith. Thank you, Lord, that through the failings of men and women, we can be encouraged that the same God, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who had mercy on them in their shortcomings, you have mercy on us in ours. Thank you for what the psalmist says, that you remember our frame. You remember that we're dust. Oh, God, as much as that is a reality, we do not use that as a justification or an excuse to live dusty. Oh, God, we thank you that your spirit is in us, and he is calling us upward towards Christ Jesus and to walk in holiness. So thank you, God. So, Lord, I pray that you bless this word as we talk about John the Baptist. I pray that you will bring the application to your people, even when I may fail to do so with my points and illustrations. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the greatest teacher of all. Thank you, Lord, for your precious anointing. Speak now, God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Fix your face. Fix 
your face. Those were the words I heard in 1984 while going school shopping at Mondawmin Mall in Baltimore, Maryland. I wanted to have the newest and the latest gear, but I knew my family didn't have a whole lot of money, so we had to work with sales and things like that. And although I may have wanted five pair of Lee colored jeans, some of y'all have no idea what I just said, I could only get two pair. And if I wanted five pair of coaching shorts, I could only get one pair. And if I wanted the Air Force Ones, my parents couldn't afford those, so they got me ponies instead. And I would try to be thankful. I would try to be grateful. And my parents, my mother in particular, would see my face being downcast, being upset, being angry that I have to wear these shoes and not those shoes. And she would say to me, fix your face. Can I get a witness here? Has anyone ever heard that before? Has anyone ever had to say that before? Fix your face. And there was a hat that I wanted. Because back then you had to have the right hat with your fit. Not your outfit, with your fit. You had to have the right hat. And back in those days, they would have hats with the name of your city on it, like in, in, in like gold. It wasn't real gold, but it was like, you know, Baltimore, you know, Chocolate City. You would want one of those kind of hats to go with your fit. But my mother did not get me one of those hats. So I had to go to school with my little head freezing in the Baltimore winters. Couldn't get it. But all I remember was my mama saying to me, fix your face. And here today, I want to say to you, I want to apply this wording, this principle that, in a sense, Jesus had to say to John the Baptist, who was disappointed that things weren't going his way, that Jesus had to send word to him that, in essence, said to him, John, fix your face. Really, fix your faith because you're off right now. If you weren't with us last week, here's a brief review. We looked at the fact that John the Baptist found himself in Herod's prison. And John was in prison for doing the right thing. John was preaching the word of God. As a matter of fact, he called out Herod and told Herod that he was wrong for taking his brother's wife to be his wife. And so because John called out that adultery in that day, he was not a political preacher or a puppet preacher. He was a prophetic preacher. And he let the chips fall where they may, and he, got called, he called out Herod, and Herod had him locked up. And while John is locked up, this man who loves the great outdoors is no doubt struggling because now he's confined to this jail cell. And we don't know how long he was in jail, but we have to believe he was in there for quite some time. His disciples would come and visit him, but they would also go out and report to him messages of what was going on in the countryside as pertains to the ministry of Jesus. So while in jail, Matthew chapter 11 verse 2 says that John heard about the works of Christ. And when he heard about the works of Christ, whatever he heard was not what he wanted to hear because he was disappointed, discouraged with what he heard, because what he heard about Jesus sitting down with sinners, what he heard about Jesus, he and his disciples not fasting when John's disciples fasted, what he heard about Jesus, Jesus having compassion on the multitude, what he heard about Jesus discouraged him, because he went out preaching that the Messiah would come with fire, and he would baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. But he's going to burn up the chaff, all of that. And so John is wondering now, what's going on? I, I, I'm hearing these reports. I'm hearing all of this mercy. But I'm not hearing any judgment. I'm not hearing any fire. Because when John preached, he was straight up in your face. Repent. He called people broods of vipers. And we know Jesus would do that later on in his ministry. But John is like confused. 
I prepared the way for you, and all I'm hearing is mercy. And so being disappointed with what God was doing, the way God was doing it, John had the nerve to have this question come off his lips, and that is, are you the coming one, or should we look for somebody else? He was disappointed because Jesus didn't fit into the lane that John thought he should have fit in and stayed in exclusively. John was disappointed that Jesus wasn't doing ministry the way he did ministry. John was disappointed with the fact that Christ was out there healing folk and and raising the dead. Okay, that's good and all. But when are you going to call some folk out like I do? Well, Jesus sent those messengers back to John who had a question about whether Christ was the Messiah. And he said, you let John know ministry is going on especially to the least in our society because the greatness of a ministry is found in how it ministers to the least in society, the outcast. You let John know that I was anointed for this to come and preach the gospel to the poor and set the captives free because what John needed to do was be challenged in that moment. And Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. We get offended with God. And that word offend means to stumble. Uh, It it also means to take the bait and be ensnared. John had taken the bait. John had stumbled because God wasn't doing what he thought God should do. And when we take the bait, when we get offended, it's because God is not doing what we want him to do, what we need him to do, what we think he should do. And I was telling my daughter this just the other night that 90% of offenses occur because of unmet expectations. Uh, Not just with God, but with other folks, with your spouse, with your children. You have an expectation. It doesn't get met. You get offended, which means you stumble. And if you're not careful, you also take the bait and you ensnare yourself with anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, all of that. And so Jesus was lovingly challenging John, saying, John, you need to see the big picture here. I am more than just what you see. I am more than what you just want. My ways are higher than your ways. John, you're focusing on this one portion of the painting, but I'm the master painter. And it's easy for you to criticize this brushstroke when you don't know what the full canvas, what the full picture is going to be in time. And we have trouble with God when we're in the midst of something and we don't see how he's working. We don't understand how he's working. We get upset with him that he's not doing what we think he should do. But we need to trust the painter that he sees the big picture. And when he's finished painting, it's going to make sense. When he finishes painting, it's going to give him glory and it's going to be for your good. When he finishes painting. But in the meantime, don't be critical of how he's painting with your life. Let's break it down this way. God is called the author and the finisher of our faith. The author means he's writing. Psalm 139 says that all of my days were written in his book before any of them came to be. So God is writing a book on us, and the only books God writes are masterpieces, bestsellers. So if he's writing a book on you and he's writing a book on me, and we know how the end in this book works out, <laughs> we win. It's going to be all right. All things are going to work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. But we don't have the big picture or the big book mentality. We are troubled because we're stuck on this page, on this paragraph, and on this sentence. I don't like this page I'm on. I don't like this paragraph I'm in. I don't like this sentence that the Lord is writing. So we're willing to give up on the author. But the author is like, no, I'm still writing a narrative on your life. And everything I do is good, even though you may not like it right now. John was disappointed with Jesus to the point where he had questions about whether or not Christ was the Messiah. But you've got to trust the painter. You've got to trust the sculptor because he is the potter, we are the clay. We have to trust the author. Oh, yes, working together. We may not see it right now, but it is working. Today, as I close this portion of Scripture, I want us to see how Jesus not only challenged John, we're going to see that, but he also praised John. He praised him. 
He praised him. Now, I know we talk a whole lot about praising God, and we should, because God is worthy of praise. A public exclamation of who God is, a declaration of who God is. We praise him, we thank him, we honor him, we bless him, we celebrate him. We are to praise him. But did you know, did you know that the Bible also says that God will praise some of us? Let it sit there for a second. We talk about praising God and we should. But the Bible also talks about God praising us. All right, before you get mad at me, let me just show you a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. The Bible says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. He's the ultimate judge. So, so stop being so trivial with all these cases. You're not the judge, capital J. Wait on God to come. Why? He will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Did you read what I just read? God will praise each one of us when we submit to him. And this praising from God will no doubt occur for Christians at the Bema seat of Christ the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne judgment. That's Revelation 20. That's for unbelievers. But God will judge Christians. And it has nothing to do about our status with him as far as are we saved or not. No, it has to do about our service for him. Did we do things in the right heart, as Pastor Jerry said earlier? Were our motives right? Did we allow God to work on our motives when we serve, when we gave, when we preached, when we sang, when we went to work on Monday morning when I was a husband, when I was a wife, when I was a child? He's going to judge us. He's going to hold us accountable with how we stewarded the gifts that he gave us. Oh, come back next week. We're going to talk about stewardship, and it's going to be like nothing you've ever heard before with stewardship. What we see here at the Bema seat, when our works pass before the Lord, the Bible says the fire in 1 Corinthians 3 will test the quality of our works. Some works will come forth as gold, silver, precious stones. They won't, bur they won't burn up by the fire. They'll be refined by the fire. But other works, things we did in our flesh, things we did for self-glory, they're going to burn up and be like wood, hay, and stubble. So for those of us who have our works, and I'm sure we'll probably be on both sides of the pendulum because not everything we do is right. Uh, so, I, you know, there'll be some smoke there, you know, at the judgment seat. But there'll be some of us, hopefully if not all of us, who will hear from the Lord praise on that day. Let me go a little bit deeper. John 12, 43. It says, for they, speaking of the Pharisees, listen to this, love the praise of men more than the praise of God. The praise of God. God will praise his people. Wow. The Pharisees loved the praises of men because their focus was worldly. They weren't thinking heavenly. They weren't concerned about pleasing God. They wanted to please men and have men be pleased with them. Jesus said they have their reward. It's earthly. It's temporal. It's not eternal. But those who serve God out of the right motivation... There will come a day when God will praise us, my God. You see, God openly praised Jesus at his baptism, did he not? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He openly praised Jesus at the transfiguration. He said pretty much the same thing at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. God said to Jesus what every child needs to hear from their parents, and that is, I love you. This is my beloved son. G God is speaking love, public affection, and affirmation of Jesus. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Why? Because he's good at talking. He's good at preaching. Every child needs to hear a parent say, I love you, and let me tell you what you're good at. Let me praise you with what you're good at. Oh, we all need that affirmation. But so often children don't hear love, and so often children hear criticism, but God the Father shows us how to praise our children. You affirm your love for them, and you also tell them what they're good at. My goodness, he did that with his son. We should do that with our children. And watch this. God will praise his servants who have been faithful 
Remember in the parable Jesus told about the talents, the one who invested the talents? They hear God say, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. So God will praise. He will honor us. He will open up his mouth, his holy mouth, and bless us. My goodness. But did you also know that God even praised Job twice to the devil? He praised him twice to the devil. Here's one of them from Job 1.8. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? He's praising Job. I know we like to sing, there is none like you. Now God is saying about Job, there is none like him. So now we're going to keep this in proper context now. God is not worshiping man. Man is to worship God. Man is to praise God. God also praises man, but God does not worship man. God is to be worshipped. But I love this because this lets me know that my God is personable. This lets me know that my God sees what we're doing. This lets me know that my God is going to bless and reward us, if not this day, definitely in eternity. Well, Jesus waited. You got to see this. For John's disciples to walk away before he praised them. Look at verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. Remember, John rolled up with a question. Jesus answered the question and said, now take that back and tell John, don't stumble now. Don't take the bait now because you're angry because I'm not doing what you want me to do. You need to repent and fix your face. They walk away. Jesus waits until they're out of earshot. And he says, let me tell you all some things about John. And he begins to praise John. Why did Jesus do it that way? I mean, couldn't John's disciples have heard all this good stuff that Jesus is going to talk about John? I mean, couldn't they have taken that back too? Well, Jesus knew that in that moment, in that moment, what John needed to hear more than anything else was not praise, but a rebuke. Mm, Y'all didn't like that, did you? John needed to be challenged, not uh, 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 coddled in that moment. And sometimes we get discouraged with God because he doesn't pat us on the back right now. Not just know a pat is coming, uh, uh, but we shouldn't always have to get a pat for doing what we're supposed to do. Uh, yeah. mm. uh, you're supposed to do this stuff. I see it. I'll reward you, but I'm not like a lot of y'all parenting. Every time little Johnny do something, you got a gift for little Johnny. Every time Johnny make an A or a B, you give Johnny this, you give Johnny Wait a minute now. Johnny's supposed to get good grades. Doesn't mean you don't praise him. How about praising him at the end of the school year? Because if you praise him too much midstream, he might take some days off and believe the hype and his press clippings. I had a coach, man, playing football. He was on us every day, every day just hard, mean, just hard. Played for him for four years. I saw him about five years ago at our 30th uh, anniversary as a school. And I go in there, and I'm with all my classmates and former football players, and I see my old coach. And the way I know him is always coming down hard, always coming down hard, being critical, pointing out what I'm not doing right as opposed to what I am doing right. That's how he was. But at this banquet, this brother was praising me and honoring me and thanking me and telling me how good of a player I was. I was like, I wanted to say this, I didn't. Bruh. You couldn't give me some of that <laughs> when I was playing. <laughs> he probably knew I couldn't have handled it. Because the Bible says you could tell the integrity of a person by how he or she handles praise. Because <laughs> some of us get that praise too soon. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. So Jesus says, John don't need to hear no praise right now. I'm going to praise him once his boys leave. Now, listen to this strong talk. 
The way Jesus praises John, I believe, is a picture of the way he might praise some of us. And I say some of us because some of us aren't doing things or living a life worthy where God is going to praise us. So you got to check yourself with where you are. God doesn't give everybody a trophy when it's all said and done. Man, in today's world, everybody get a trophy. Your team could go 0 and 105. Everybody get a trophy. What? <laughs> Not in heaven. Everybody don't get a crown. Everybody don't get a reward. Just those who've endured. Some of us will get in heaven, but as by fire or but on fire. That, that's just how we're going we to barely get in. But let's have a little bit more. Let, let, let's have some gratitude because the way he saved us and changed us, I live my life for him. Here are three quick points uh, that I'm going to give you. Jesus praised John for not compromising. Number two, Jesus praised John for being the forerunner. And thirdly, Jesus praised John for being great. So I'm going to hit it and quit it. But before I hit that, let me say this also. John had a bad moment. He was struggling in this moment. Before this moment came, his life was pretty stellar. I mean, it was on point. But when he got in this prison, he struggled. When he got in this prison, he began to have doubts and disappointment, and it voiced as a question and even questioning Jesus. Jesus sends back an answer to John, and he lovingly encourages him, man, don't be offended because of me, because I'm not doing what you think I should do or what you want me to do. But here's what I love about Jesus, who's about to praise John. Jesus doesn't let one moment of... Mm, a negative moment, one bad moment, uh, take away his love and respect for John. Uh, some of y'all didn't, you, you missed that. I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus didn't let one bad moment change how he felt about John. He rebuked him because he loved him. And God is not going to let one bad moment we go through, and we all go through them, change how he feels about us. That's because where sin abounds, somebody help me out, what super abounds? So I'm not going to let where you are cause me to forget who you are and all you've done for me. So for those of you who messed up last night or coming to church today or who messed up yesterday, who messes up every day like your pastor, God doesn't judge you based on this mishap. He judges you based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus, his righteousness is imputed unto you. So you are loved even when you are not always acting in a loving way. One moment will not mess up his love for you. Now, don't use grace as a means now to go out and trip now. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. So, number one, here we go. Jesus praised John for not compromising. Look at verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Jesus praised John for not compromising. John was not shaken. Jesus said that, did you go out to see a reed that was shaken by the wind? Or did you go out to see a man who vacillated? A man who lived off of what people said? A man who thrived or failed off of opinions of the crowd? No, you didn't go out there to find somebody shaking and blowing with the wind. No, you found what Psalm 1 says, a tree planted by rivers of water. You found a man who was strong and sturdy, who could handle the winds of criticism. Because folks criticized John. Everybody didn't like John. John did not compromise his calling. He was strong. He was sure. He didn't compromise his calling, watch this, to get fine things or the finer things in life like soft clothing and seats in king's palaces. John stayed the task. 
But how many preachers do you know who compromise their calling to get a seat at the table? How many folk do you know who will compromise their calling so they can get some fine clothes? Just don't preach about this and we'll pay you well. Just don't talk about that and you'll keep your job here. Again, we got puppets in pulpits, not prophets behind pulpits. John was a prophet and not any man's puppet. John did not compromise his message, his method, or his persona. He didn't compromise his message. What was his message? Repent. What was his method? Baptism. What was his persona? Y'all, John was different. That brother was different. He lived in a different place. Brother lived in the desert. He wore different clothes, camel hair, a two-piece short set in the summer, in the desert. He was different, I'm telling you. He ate different food. None of y'all had locusts and wild honey on your menu this past Thursday. But John, if he was at your house, you know how people say, yeah, can, can you uh, not put this in the food? I need to have food that don't have that in it. If John was one of your guests, he would have been like, all I'm eating, dog, is locusts and wild honey. Would you have had him at your house? John was different. Not only that, he instituted a different sign, which was baptism. The Jews focused on the sign of circumcision. But here he comes with this other sign to identify with Christ. And he preached a different message. And he even told the people who came out to listen to him, listen now, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not enough to say that you're sorry. You've got to show that you're sorry. And those of you who got two cloaks, give one of those cloaks to somebody that doesn't have one. You soldiers, stop demanding more pay for what you do. Help folk out. Give. I mean, he was preaching the kingdom of God. But he was different. And when I first started growing in Christ, I was afraid to be my true self. I was. I imitated slash assimilated into the culture that was teaching me about Jesus. The people who were teaching me loved to wear suits, three-piece suits, and carry briefcase and have a Jesus loves you pin on your lapel and all this kind of stuff and had tight little haircuts and the, and the little wingtip shoes. And I used to think that if I was going to be spiritual, I had to be like these folks. And I had to wear them kind of clothes and walk real tight and stuff, you know, <laughs> that that was spiritual. Didn't clap, you know, you know, not being true to myself because that's worldly if you clap. Ah, man. Y'all can imagine where I was disciple. We won't go there. Come holler at me later. But it was tight, but it wasn't right. It was good for some folk, but man, I didn't grow up that way. So why do I have to grow in Christ that way? Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But I couldn't be who I was hanging out with certain folk. At least I thought until a man who looked like me, my skin color, began to disciple me, and he knew that I liked rap music. And rather than telling me, get rid of that rap music, he said, um, have you ever thought about using rap music to preach the gospel? I'm like, no. He said, write some raps about Jesus, and I'll take you out with me. And that was the beginning, y'all. That was it right there, because that's what I loved. And God redeemed that aspect of my culture for his glory. And I started writing these songs, and I started wearing the clothes that I'm wearing now. I started being who I was, even though folks said that's different. What you're doing is different, and how you're dressing is different. But we were reaching a whole lot of different people who weren't coming into church. Because when God calls you to do some stuff, don't sit back and look for people's approval and acceptance. You just got to do it, even if it's different and if it hasn't been done before. When I wanted to start a church, and God says, I want you to start a multiracial church, that's different. People criticize me doing this just like they criticize me for doing gospel rap. But I'm glad I didn't listen to the people about the gospel rap or about a multiracial church in the South. It was different, but God called me to do it. And I'm so glad. 
that I walked in who I was and who I am in Christ without compromising his message or myself as a person. Be who God has called you to be and do what he has called you to do, even if it's different. You may have a skateboarding ministry. Your parents didn't have that. Just because they didn't have that doesn't mean you're not supposed to have that. You may be called to the mission field. You may be called to this line of work. You may be called to write these kinds of songs. And it's different. John the Baptist was different. And he didn't try to put on soft clothes and chill in the king's place. He said, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. Because one day, Jesus just might praise you for not compromising him, yourself, or his message. Secondly, John was praised for being the forerunner. Look at verse 9 and 10. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. John has been described as the last of the Old Testament prophets. So that in and of itself is major. Why? Because Jesus came to institute the new covenant or what we would call the New Testament. And so John was the last Old Testament prophet, but he was also the forerunner to the Messiah. Other prophets prophesied the coming of the Messiah, but John had the unique privilege to be chosen by God to actually announce the Messiah's arrival. So that's a, that's a special place that he had. John opened the way for Christ, and then he got out of the way of Christ. He was the forerunner. He went first. John was in proximity to the light, but he had enough sense to know that he wasn't the light. John was in relation to the Messiah, but he knew he was not the Messiah. He knew it wasn't about him. He says, I must decrease. He's got to increase. Some people can't handle being close to greatness. Yeah, yeah, there's some illumination that comes when you walk with people who have a platform. But don't get it twisted. You are not the reason the people are coming to the cat that has the platform. You just know the person that has. So a little bit of light is coming on you. But it ain't about you. It's about the person that's on the platform. And John had enough sense to play his part. He knew that he was not the Christ, even though he preached the Christ. And when people asked him, are you the Christ? He didn't say, well, you know what, we do have some things in common, you know what I'm saying? No, he was like, no. The one who's coming behind me is before me. I'm not worthy to carry his shoes. He understood that that was Jesus' greatness and not his. Oh, boy, Lucifer had that trouble in heaven. He was close to God. And he saw the glory of God and said, I want to be like the Most High too. But the Most High don't share his glory with no one. No human, no angel. And so John was the awesome about this because he's in proximity to the light, but he knows he ain't the light. He's the forerunner. Or to break it down in modern-day vernacular, John was the opening act. Jesus was the headliner. Watch this. You ever been to a concert? And they got like four opening acts. And then there's the headliner. You are not coming to see the opening acts unless you relate it to them. <laughs> Am I right? They're your cousin or something, you know. You are coming to see the headliner. What I don't like is when I go to one of these gospel shows, everybody is trying to sing the paint off the walls. Everybody's trying to say, look at me, and they're trying to hype the crowd up. But we didn't come there to see the mighty nightingales and the sensational seven singers. We didn't come to see y'all. We came to see uh, uh, Kirk Franklin, Fred Hatt. We That's who we came to see. So do your two songs and get up out of here. But why you got to drag your song out? You got two songs that's supposed to be 10 minutes, but the Holy Ghost hit you. And you singing for 20 minutes now, so the headliner don't get on till everybody's tired. That's why I don't go to a lot of these gospel shows, man. We ain't come to see you. 
Now, if you go on the big tours, they have the opening acts. We went to go see Lecrae a few weeks ago, and they had some opening acts. You got to understand something about the opening acts. Opening acts don't have as much time as the closer. And the opening acts don't even have the same lighting rig as the closer has. They don't even have the same sound system. Your sound system is a little smaller. Your lights are like a couple of light bulbs. But when the headliner comes, the lights come out, the, the, the show on the back, the, all the media stuff, because that's the headliner. John didn't compete with the headliner. And I want to know, do you live your life in such a way where you don't compete with the headliner? Do people know who's the head of your life? Or do they think you're the head of your life? John says, I'm quick to deflect the praise to God. So when you do something well on the job, do you do what Snoop Dogg said when he got inducted this past week with a star on the Walk of Fame? Snoop got up and said, I thank me for working hard. I thank me for doing this. I thank me for doing that. I thank me. And then cussed while he said it. Snoop, I know you did a gospel album. Can't you at least say, I want to thank God? But our president comes along also this week. Mr. President, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for the job that I'm doing to make America great again. That is tacky, classless. That's just like Snoop. <laughs> if you can't give God praise and thanks for what you're able to do, because you can't do it without God giving you the strength to do it, open your mouth and give God thanks and praise. It ain't about you. It's about him working through you in spite of you. But when James Shaw is asked, the man who rescued the folks at the Waffle House, uh, James, uh, tell us about your act of bravery. Well, it's really not about me. It's about those people in the restaurant. It's about their families. And God gave me strength to do. I'm just an ordinary person. I ain't nobody special. God gave me strength in that moment. You see, that's attractive right there. John said, I know who gets the glory, and it's possible that Jesus will praise you one day for living your life like he was the headliner. Live your life like he's the headliner because he is. And finally, Jesus praised John for being great. Yes, verse 11, surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wait a minute, Jesus, I wasn't born like John was. I didn't have this calling on my life like John did. I didn't baptize you the way John did. What do you mean I can be greater than John? You say that he's great, but then you say that we in the kingdom can be greater. Well, first, understand this strong tower. Jesus said that John was great, even the greatest, because John came to serve. God defines greatness by serving, by humility, by obedience, by faithfulness, not by the way the world defines faith, uh, 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 greatness. So in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, read it when you get home. The disciples were posturing for greatness in the wake of Jesus' soon departure. They're like, man, who, who's, who's going to be, you know, on the right hand? And who's going to be on the left hand? And, and Jesus said, the world goes after stuff like that. But if you want to be great, you've got to serve, not be served. Why? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And ain't nobody greater than me. And I came and I washed feet to set an example for you that you ought to wash one another's feet. That is, serve them, go down low before them. You want to be great? Serve. That's what Martin Luther King said in one of his final sermons called The Drum Major Instinct which he said in March of 1968, he preached that day. He said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to ha have uh, your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. 
you only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. You want to be great? According to Jesus, serve. Paul said the greatest parts in the body are not the parts you see. The eye, the ear, the hand. It's the parts you don't see. The heart, the kidney, the spleen, the liver, all the stuff you don't see, the lungs. Paul said we need more people signing up to want the serving gifts and less people signing up to get the speaking gifts and the sign gifts. Who want to sign up to get a shovel or a broom or a vacuum or a paintbrush? Who, who wants to sign up to serve? Now, whereas these other things, Jesus could praise us, but let me tell you this, God will praise us as being great when we make ourselves the least. Oh, yeah, yeah, we will because he said John was great because he was least, and so can you. So when we make ourselves least, Jesus says, ah, you're great. And your greatness and your leastness is shown in how you serve. Not when the lights are on. You serve when no one's looking. Right now, no one's looking in the children's ministry. But those are the greatest servants in this church. The ones who serve our children week in and week out. Those who serve our teens, they're the greatest in this church. Those who clean up when you're gone, they're the greatest in this church. The ones who vacuum this place and get hair and coffee cups and things out of this sanctuary. The ones who serve that you don't see, they're the greatest in this church. Not me. Those you don't see. And Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, we need more people to sign up to serve. And less people who come and sit and want to be served. That's how churches, we, we got 500, 5,000 people coming. How many of them serve? We can do more with 300 on fire who serve than 3,000 who come and do nothing. I'm a different kind of preacher like that. Don't need a whole lot of people to serve God or to feel significant in his kingdom. No, I'm different like that. Let me roll with a couple of zealots for Jesus and we'll be all right. Oh, I close it by saying, for those of you who are momentarily disappointed with Jesus, like John the Baptist was, you may one day hear Jesus praise you in glory the way he praised John. He may praise you for not compromising, for being the forerunner or recognizing that Jesus is the headliner. And he may praise you for being great because you chose to serve, especially children. <laughs> and there are some people here, God will not only praise you in glory, but he may also crown you. Revelation 2.10, Jesus says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribu tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So we end where we started. What if God doesn't deliver you from prison? Will you still praise him? What if God doesn't fix this thing right now the way you want it? Is he still worthy? Because some people, he's ordained that they die in jail. John would die in prison. In fact, having his head cut off. But I have to believe that the same one who allowed John's head to get cut off would be the one who would one day not only praise John, but also put a crown on John's head. Fix your face. That's what my mama said to me. And I went home salty because she didn't do what I wanted her to do. And I thought I was in prison. I didn't get the 10 pair pants. It was hard to be thankful for the two. Didn't get the Nike Air Force. It was hard to be thankful for the ponies. But I listened and I fixed my face. And when mama saw that my face was fixed, mama said, come here. I got something for you. And she reached in the bag and she pulled out the hat that I wanted. But she didn't give it to me then. 
She gave it to me later. He may not give you what you want right now, but fix your face. <laughs> One day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. You can endure it. You can make it. His timing is perfect. He knows what he's doing. Father, we all get disappointed. And some of it is the reality that we're not God. We're not you. Because if we were you, we would do things differently, especially in our own lives. But we're not God. You are God. And we need to trust you. Just like Job said, though you may slay me, I'm going to trust you. It hurts. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But where else can I go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. Thank you for John's transparency, his honesty. It gives us the permission to be honest with our emotions and our feelings. But Jesus, also thank you for your loving rebuke to him to not stumble, trip over the rock that has been laid in Zion. Oh, God, you're good. We're going to trust you. You have the big picture in mind. Would you give extra strength to the person that's about to give up, give out, give in? May they endure, oh God, to the end. God, I pray for those who are waiting on you. I pray that their season of waiting would soon become a season of reception. I pray, God, that you'll make some things happen. You'll open up some doors they knocked on and open up some doors they didn't knock on. In the meantime, Lord, while they're waiting, we know you're transforming, you're growing, you're strengthening. And if for some reason we don't get that prayer answered the way we want, if for some reason we don't get healed in our body the way we've been praying, if for some reason we don't get what we've been waiting on and asking you for, we're not going to pout. We're going to praise you. Because we know that this life is not all there is. There's something better coming. So give us eyes to see the eternal and not just the natural. Give us eyes to see and a heart to feel what you have in store for us. So as we leave this place, never from your presence, we walk out with our heads up. Because just like you knew about John, Jesus, you know about each and every one of us. You see what we're doing. You applaud us when other people curse us. You see it. And what's being done in secret one day, Lord, will be made known in public. May your people not grow weary in well-doing, knowing that in due season they'll reap if they don't faint. Strengthen us. We love you, Dad. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hug three people before you leave. Hug three people. That's it. Don't do four. Just three. <laughs>